0: Sometimes when you tell me I need to go to Vancouver's, I tell you, get in your car, drive west, and we'll have a conversation along the way.
1: This episode of the CE Drive podcast is brought to you by Business Career College. Business Career College is a leading provider of financial services education, including the life insurance licensing program. The entire set of courses leading to the CFP certification, which is actually where I spend most of my time teaching, and where I've met many of the participants in these podcasts. We also provide continuing education credits, live classroom and webinar instruction in support of the Elder Planning Counselor designation, and a few other odds and ends in support of folks in the financial services industry. You can find the full catalog of course offerings at www.businesscareercollege.com. Hi, and welcome back to the CE Drive podcast. This is Jason Watt. On today's episode, we're going to be talking to advice-only financial planner Brett Martinson about retirement income strategies. Uh, Brett has three good case studies that we're going to work through here, three significantly different case studies. Uh, Today's episode is good for continuing education credits, life insurance credits in all the life insurance jurisdictions, no accident and sickness credits for those in Alberta. Uh, be careful if you're in a jurisdiction that caps your number of investment credits. Brett and I don't talk about any insurance concepts in any great detail here, so this would fall into the investment category of CE credits. This episode will be good for FP Canada financial planning credits and IROC professional development credits, as well as Advocus IAS credits. Quite a few of the guests that I interviewed... Over this span, there's sort of five or six episodes here, and quite a few of the folks I interviewed came from my connection with the Financial Planning Association of Canada. And I do want to give a plug to that particular organization. I've learned a ton. In fact, actually, just before recording this, I popped over to the uh, forums there and a good discussion about maximum RESP withdrawals and something that uh, I don't think a lot of people pay attention to. but. Uh, there is a uh, regulatory cap, for example, on RESP withdrawals. And a nice reminder there that if you're going to withdraw more than about $27,000 a year in 2021 from an RESP, that you can only do so if you get explicit endorsement from uh, ESDC to do so. So that might be uh, the case with a more expensive program. It's just a, a good example of the kind of uh, financial planning conversation you see there that is I think quite useful a lot of learning happens in that community so um, if you're a financial planner listening to this and you say I'd like to have a, a good financial planning community where it's just learning and sort of coaching or advice focused Financial Planning Association of Canada is a great place to find it. The color for today's episode is gray. The color for today's episode is gray. Okay, let's uh, hear what Brett has to say about retirement income planning, and he'll talk us through the three scenarios I had mentioned. We're joined today by Brett Martinson. Brett is a fee-only or advice-only planner based in Welland, Ontario, just down in the Niagara region. And Brett, can you just talk about your practice a little bit, about how you ended up in that uh, fee-only space? And I know you were previously uh, licensed for both insurance and investments, and maybe you can chat a little bit about why you've chosen to go the route of not carrying those uh, product licenses.
0: Absolutely. So, I started in the industry uh, almost nine years ago now, as a financial advisor with one of the, the the larger firms. I was lucky enough to be brought in and mentored by a financial planners, so CFPS uh, specifically one and uh, specifically, but I also uh, uh, worked with one or two others uh, in that situation. And uh, being an analytical person by by nature, I'm an engineer by by education, um, uh, all that just uh, uh, spoke to me in terms of of financial planning and analyzing. Uh, So the idea was always in the back of my mind to to get my CFP. um, In that, as as we know in that kind of channel, um, not that that is is turned away from, but you have other priorities going on, of, of, of course. Um, but it, to answer the question of why I made the the shift, it was always there to begin with the, the financial planning aspect. I took my CFP designation a couple of years ago, um, my CLU, excuse me, my CLU a couple of years ago, my CFP shortly after that. And it just sped up the idea that uh, I want to focus the vast majority of my time on planning insurance and investment, which I had both of those licenses, mutual fund and insurance is important and is, is obviously a key part of uh, people's finances. But there are other people out there that are able to put that in place. And I felt that there was less and less people out there putting financial plans in place for uh, uh, for people. So that's why I made the switch. And giving up the licenses, quite frankly, I just didn't see, like again, focusing on financial planning, I didn't see the, the need for them. I can always go back and, and grab them if, if necessary. But with the vast majority of my time focused
1: just on planning, it, that was that was the reason for that decision. So when you have a need for insurance, let's say, do you have like a, a short list of insurance folks you would send your clients to? Or is it just go find somebody? How does that work?
0: Yeah. It, it, so some some I'll ask clients like if, hey, if you've got somebody that you trust and you've been working with, and you're happy with. Great. If you want some referrals, I have some referrals, obviously, um, with people that I, I previously worked with. Um, it's interesting from your podcast, you brought up a couple times the idea of do you, do you do the three name thing, that type of thing. And I've always struggled with that, too, because I want to say, hey, look, here's how I know these people. And here's why I think they're great. Obviously, you have vast choices out there. Um, so I, 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 I do have a couple of referrals that I'll, I'll give. But I'm, I'm, i I've, I've always felt that I didn't necessarily need to give five referrals to look like I was being. Um, uh, whatever the word is, uh, 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 diverse, I guess is the only word that comes to my mind right now. But, um, uh, I, I, am kind of moving more and more. I don't see a legal reason to say I have to give it X number of referrals and I'm moving more and more towards, this is how I know these people. This
1: is why I think they're great. And it'll be up to you to make that decision. If you think they're as great as I do. What about on the investment side then? Do you have client, like do you use a, a robo partnered up with you or do you send people out for investment advice or are a lot of your clients DIY investors? What does that look like?
0: So not a lot of them are, uh, there's a certain percentage that are DYI. Um, and one of, the con- one of the things I do in my financial planning engagement is I, I try to be educative as, as, as well. So one of the things I'll talk about is there's essentially, and I might be oversimplifying, but there's essentially three ways to do it. DYI, you know, robo, have, you know, some sort of technology doing it for you. And then, of course, uh, uh, handing it out to, uh, to an advisor. Um, and I'll ask them, and I'll tell them the pros and cons of, of each. Like, obviously, as you go up that ladder, typically costs go up, but hopefully value is also going up too. And you and I both know that, that you know, that's, that's possible or not. Um, and so I find that the vast majority, there's more and more education about robo and ETFs. So the vast majority are interested in going that route, but there are some people that are saying, "Look, I just I, I use the analogy of changing the oil in my own car." There's some people that just like I don't I want somebody else to take this on, and again, same thing with insurance. I'll I'll refer out to uh, people I know, and um, uh, let them uh, go from from there.
1: And as far as uh, fee structure, do you do like a an upfront planning fee, or clients on some sort of subscription, or Retainer? How does that work?
0: Sure. So uh, there's there's basically well we I guess we have three um, uh, uh, structures. Uh, one's an hourly rate if we ever need to get into that. Um, but I'm a big believer that that like people tend to like they don't want an hourly rate. They want a project rate. Uh, as it were. So for clients coming to us for the first time, we obviously want to establish a baseline and establishing a financial plan. So we do have a, uh, a fee for that uh, that financial plan. Um, and then after that, if they can, want to continue engaging with us, want us helping them implementing the plan, uh, then there is an um, uh, ongoing uh, retainer fee, an annual retainer fee that Uh, not only access to us phone and email but also um, uh, updating the plan at least once a year Uh, and then again there's that hourly rate for clients that say i want to talk with you quarterly i want you to meet with my accountant that's just there so that you know obviously time is needs to be charged for something and, and not everything can be packaged you
1: have to protect yourself a little bit right your time your time is worth something
0: absolutely um and I, I there's no ego around that i think it's just it it is what it is that um we could do this for free all day long and then and then all of a sudden we're not available because we went bankrupt
1: <laughs> that's it right or your uh your spouse ends it because they're uh, they you know i want to see you sometimes that that will happen before the bankruptcy let me promise you that <laughs> so i know that's where i get my my hard time is when my spouse doesn't see enough of me, which yeah. surprises me always. I'm like, man, I'd be sick of me, but so the reason that, uh, that I brought you on today was because you and I had engaged a little bit on the financial planning association of Canada, uh, discussion forums around some retirement scenarios. And I'd had this specific question actually from Ian who, um, actually shares uh, some heritage with you, some uh, mm-hmm. some yeah. corporate heritage with you. Um, yeah. Yeah. And he had asked about, uh, you know, having more people on to talk about retirement income planning. And I was really impressed with some of the depth of uh, of the discussions that I saw on the FPAC forums. So I know you you and I chatted offline a little bit. You've sort of got three retirement planning scenarios that you have found interesting, three recent scenarios. And can you just go through background on each of the scenarios? Sure. So
0: uh, list uh, just, just to highlight all three of them first, and then we'll dig into them. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. OK. So the first one, I tried to pick a couple of what I would consider unique ones. Uh, so the first one is a spouse passed away recently. The, the couple are in their later 50s, so uh, still working um uh you know this is unexpected obviously and he uh the the spouse that passed away the husband was the higher the the income earner uh and she had done some some jobs but but certainly the 90 percent of the income was coming from him uh now luckily enough uh decent savers decent pension all this type of stuff but she came to me asking the question of Am I going to be all right? And if I am going to be all right, can I also, is there enough money here that I can also uh, help uh, my my kids? So a really interesting, like a tragic, obviously, but a really interesting scenario in terms of uh, of um, having this situation where I think I'm going to be okay, but I want to confirm that. And then once I confirm that, what options and possibility do I have given that I'm, I'm late 50? Uh, the other one is 40 um, uh, year olds. Um, so they're saving for retirement obviously they're preparing for retirement down the road rental properties uh, higher income earners corporation involved outside of the rental properties and they had it in their mind that the rental properties were going to take care of most of their retirement either via capital or rental income or, or a combination of both so they wanted to be able to confirm that and assuming that that was confirmed they had some what I'll call shorter term goals, paying off some debt, uh, uh, saving for um, uh, uh, kids' education, relatively young family uh, in terms of children. Um, and then the last one, I guess a little bit more typical, but I I, I I like it because I enjoy the tax planning aspect of things. So this is a 65-year-old couple. This is a couple years ago now, but I've worked with a number of couples like this. Um, pensions, savings, again, decently well off. Now it becomes a question of they, they assumed that they were going to be okay and the retirement plan said that they would. And now it became a question of, and I get this question so often from clients is where do I where do I take the money from? Because I hear about you know taxes and and OS uh, OAS clawback and dying with too much registered funds and all these kind of push and pull levers. So clients are becoming a lot more educated out there, as far as I'm concerned. And so those are the three. Uh, scenarios that, that I thought
1: would be interesting to talk about. So let's start off with the, the first one you mentioned, the mom and son scenario here, the deceased sure. father, deceased yep. higher income earner. Mm-hmm. Um, so is there, first off, is there enough? And how do you determine whether there is enough? What kind of work goes into that question? Or is there going to be some adjustments required or some shortfall here?
0: Yeah. And that's always, obviously one of the key questions is what do I need for retirement? And the further away we're from that data, I think it's the harder, the harder, not the harder, the more assumptions you have to make on that, on that number. So uh, she's relatively, so she is uh, uh, late 50s. So she's relatively close to that period of that expected period of time. She knows her um, expenses relatively well. So we were able to base it on, okay, what's your lifestyle right now? How much are you spending right now to keep things uh, afloat and do everything that you want to do? Um, and we just made the assumption those numbers aren't going to change drastically because the the spouse passed away. Um, uh, you know, obviously food bills probably going to go down a little bit, but like who cares? Now we're kind of uh, nitpicking. And then the other question is: Is there other expenses that you thought are going to come up in retirement, either that you had planned for with with uh, your husband, or um, or that you you know are are you going to go on more trips and, and things like that? So we build that into the, the expenses um, I as I said I, I do an education portion of, of the retirement planning to say you might spend more you might spend less you might uh, your your um, activity may decrease but your health um, uh, um, expenses might increase all of these things are unknown so that's uh, that's where we started in terms of, of uh, a an assumption of what they uh, they're going to need and then of course built in CPP And the interesting thing was, of course, survivor uh, benefit and how all that's going to work. Um, and we're actually midway through the engagement right now. But uh, based on the the preliminary stuff that I've done, uh, everything is looking like they're going to be they're They're certainly within the ballpark. Uh, so at that point, if, if uh, they 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 want to hit a certain target, we're just talking minor tweaks at this point, as opposed to trying to have to have to find another quarter million dollars. So now it's really going to get down to the goal discussion of she has certain goals of what to pass along to uh, her uh, son. And so now it's a question of, um, OK, if we take that amount of money and, and this is non registered money from insurance proceeds. So there's no major taxation issue here. If we take that money, amount of money and, and just hand it off and kick it outside of the household. Now it's not part of the retirement plans or anything else. How does that change the um? The plan, and again, we're kind of midway through it, um, but it doesn't change it, uh, thankfully, for her that much. Uh, I think the key thing that she's going to come out of this plan with, and I think most people, I really harp on the sentence from CFP, which is uh, informed decisions, helping clients make informed decisions. Now she has a lot of information to make those informed decisions. Is she going to give fifty thousand dollars to the son,
1: dollars those type of things? So that's that's kind of where things are headed. And you had mentioned that the son is actually somewhat involved here in Absolutely. that she asked you to talk to him as sort of a, a sounding board, I think. Is that accurate?
0: Yeah, well, actually the first so we set up the first they reached out um or, or she reached out to uh to me and then and, and kind of gave me the situation. And I um I set up the first meeting and and he was in So sort was of Zoom remote. And he was in the first meeting, which nothing wrong with that one way or the other. Uh, I wasn't aware until the first meeting and she introduced me. And and very quickly, it it obviously became um, uh, obvious that uh, it was a comfort level thing that having my son here listening to the same thing and being able to agree or disagree, um, because obviously this major change that just went through her life. I, you know, I, I would probably be doing the same situation in in or same uh, thing in her situation, and then it's been it's continued that way. So it's it's been a um all the meetings have been between the three of us.
1: It's interesting. Did you uh, and I? It doesn't sound like this is a case where this would be a particular concern. But do you think about undue influence in a case like that? Oh, I, I, so
0: absolutely. Um, as as soon as there is somebody else involved like that. And to a certain degree even even two spouses but obviously more so out, outside of that uh, in the back of my mind was okay um, you know obviously you'd be cordial and, and, and you expect the best but in the back of your, your mind is okay what's what's going on here and I did have some private conversations with her via email and I, I think there was also a phone call in there where we had the opportunity to talk about a couple things and I, I will be direct with clients and I'll say so just here's the situation I get that I feel like there's a good relationship between you and your son and that he's really helping you out. And then this has been the case even before your spouse passed away. But I do have to ask, do you feel any undue influence? Do you feel like, please tell me now that we're having a private conversation. And, uh, and, and she's, she said, no, you're bang on. Like, like my, my kids are being very helpful, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and that's about all you can do. Like maybe she's a really good liar. I don't think so, but, uh, you know, uh, Hopefully, you would have been able to pick up on some things, um, uh, and and I have been involved in situations like that, or worked with advisors directly that have been involved in in situations like that,
1: where that came out over the course of three to six months. I think you did mention in this case that the son as well expressed direct concern about whether mom was going to have enough. First and foremost, right? And
0: so yeah. it, exactly in that in that meeting where mom said, "I want to also help out my kids." Uh, almost right away, he said yes, but we want to make sure mom's okay first. So tell us how mom's going to, uh, how this is going to go for mom, and then show us if you take the money out, how that's going to affect mom. So you know, there's triggers along the way that said this. This sounds like it's an okay relationship, but your question is a good one because it's 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 always got to be there in the back of
1: our minds. I think. Yeah, it's good. And but when you hear that kind of thing, and like yes, like you said earlier, unless he's a really good liar. you know that that plays well right i know you pay a lot of attention to canada pension plan i know you like to nerd out on cpp a little bit discussion about uh professor mcdonald's recent paper there Um, absolutely and in a case like this i assume she's collecting a fairly generous cpp survivors benefit yep how much work have you put into thinking about what her optimal time to start Canada Pension Plan? Is it something you talked to her about, or is it sort of a, we'll deal with it when it comes? It, it, it's
0: it's on the docket that we're talking about it because she's close to 60. So, so she has the option to make that choice. Uh, and I tell most of my clients that for the most part, um, and I don't want to Put it under the uh, uh sweep it under the rug for the most part it's really a discussion that's left until you're getting closer to, to, to 60 uh, because really you, you can't at 58 you can't do anything about it you can plan for it but you can't say please give me my money so um so it is a part of the discussion uh he was pretty close uh, if he had lived his expected life uh, expectancy he was pretty close to the maximum um, and so she won't give the maximum for for obvious reasons uh, but but she will get the max she'll get close to the maximum of the survivor's benefit if I can put it that way. Um, so we have had conversations and that report uh, by Dr. McDonald's come out has has been really helpful there, there's uh, there's been a lot of discussion around that report as you know about about this part's great and, and I wish that there's more information on this part. Um, but it, it does at least inform the discussion of of uh, there are situations where Canadians may, and I really emphasize may, may be able to delay CPP payments by at least a year or so, and, and it goes through the math. And I think what that report really does, and it is uh, highlighting a lot of conversations we're having with clients, uh, is to say that um, I always tell clients, it's as much a personal decision as it is a mathematical one. We can run the math left, right, and center all we want, but do you think you're going to pass away in two years and you're losing sleep because you're not collecting this money? Do you think that you're going to live a long, healthy lifestyle and 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 you don't care about um, collecting it till later on? Um, so, so the math informs, I think, that decision, but ultimately the personal thought if somebody is losing sleep because they're 60 years and 1 month old and they're not collecting CPP, then maybe they should be collecting CPP regardless of what the math says.
1: Again, informed decisions and then and then uh, help them make decisions from there. It's it's true. It's good to have such a wealth of information and that paper presented a ton of things to think about and some things in unconventional ways which I thought was really valuable. That was uh, Yeah. Yeah, that was great. So you said like we're trying to get a handle on whether it's enough, right? And making yeah. sure that. So when you think about enough or about that retirement income plan, mm-hmm. uh, do you focus on desired lifestyle? Do you look at like her current expenses? You know, what are you spending today as the best predictor of what you're going to spend in future? Do you think about something else? What goes into that discussion about? You know what's she going to be spending at sixty-five or seventy or seventy-five? Sure.
0: And the quick answer to that is you probably know as much as I do. I, like if I could find a right or wrong answer to that question, like that that's worth its weight in gold. And, and I haven't found it yet. Um, so it's it's a balance again between educating the client of those various options. I, one of the things I tell clients is I, I've never met a client that that wants to decrease their lifestyle in retirement. Uh, now, uh, that's a bit facetious. There are some clients that that will drastically reduce in, in lifestyle, but for the most part. So I say you know first of all, as one scenario we're gonna run, let's uh, let's 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 look at that and say this is maintaining your lifestyle. And then obviously, we have a conversation about what could change that lifestyle. Not only your your personal decisions that now you've got all this time free and maybe you end up spending more money than you thought, uh, but also health uh, concerns down the road. Um, so we start there and then and then i then i'll I'll say, is did you have any goals again it's goal some of this is goal based uh yes i we want to go on a fifty year anniversary trip or a thirty year wedding anniversary trip, or we we want to take our, our kids on a trip when when five years after retirement or you know whatever those cases may be. So let's add those uh, expenses and those one time expenses. But sometimes they are no. We plan to do a lot of traveling. I had one uh, client. Uh, they uh, they already did a lot of traveling when they were working, and they were going to at least maintain that. Um, I want to say in some years in the first five years of retirement, she she was single, wanted to do. $20,000 a year of, 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 traveling and then taper off after that. So to answer the question, um, uh, it, it is really a lot to do with each and every one client. You get them to understand their, uh, you, you understand their goals, but also talk to them about how those goals, those goals may or may not affect, um, their, um, uh, uh, the, the, the income
1: they, they can draw. If that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's, And obviously plan for the sort of best. Now, you mentioned healthcare in there. And then I have to ask the question, do you think of like almost like an emergency fund? Or do you build a little cushion in around healthcare? Or do you just have a set of assumptions that goes right into the plan? Yeah. So again,
0: uh, a lot of it's based on assumptions. We talk about uh, at at that stage of a retirement plan, people in or near retirement. We talk about long term care insurance. Well, we talk about long term care to begin with, um, and then how, what is the goal of potentially funding the long term care? And of course, some clients may say, "Well, you know, if that happens, we'll just take it out of our retirement savings." And a little bit of education on okay let, let's look at that let's let's model that and see what that looks like and sometimes that can surprise people um uh obviously long-term care insurance is a, is a possibility you talk about the pros and cons of that um you can set aside a, a long-term care emergency fund we also talk about um the fact that as you get older and there's a increased chance of of Potential long-term care there's also an increased chance of of um, of decreasing your activity and your spend my father is 82 now um my in-laws are mid-70s and we're covid aside we we are starting to see that so i can use my own examples of, of not only clients but my my extended family to see they're not spending as much as they were five years ago
1: just based on mobility and on the note of long-term care insurance, mm-hmm. uh, have you run into a scenario where you recommended it, where you said, in this case, long-term care insurance is the right thing for you? Yeah, I,
0: I have. Um, and one scenario in particular I can think of was where the client said, I want, I'm willing to pay to know that I have a check coming in if I check off all these boxes. And again, that's that's another, you, you, education obviously becomes a very big piece of this, is here's where you, it's like disability insurance. Here's where you may get long-term care insurance. Here's where you may not. Uh, you've got to you know, check off some of these uh, boxes. Um, but I, I can think of one scenario in in particular where the client said, I will feel better knowing, it's kind of like car insurance or house insurance, that I have this thing here if my house burns down. So that
1: was their decision, yeah, it was interesting. Okay, uh, let's move on to the second scenario then, unless anything struck you from the first scenario that, that I missed. Um, so this one I find interesting because the rental properties discussion to me really lends itself well to, to the uh, fee only or advice only model, right? You're, you're not necessarily trying to gather those assets so my cat has just jumped up on my lap. That's that's all right. <laughs> um, so with those rental properties, I are first off, are they personally owned or Are they held in the corporation? Does that matter to you? Do you? How much of that do you get involved in? Sure. So
0: in in that area, I I have enough knowledge to be. Um, to, to make them aware of certain things. But if, if they get into setting up uh, rental corporations and things like that, um, then I, I will certainly uh, advise that out to a specialist in, in that area. Um, but they're, they're currently personally um, uh, held. And from what I uh, understand, uh, I don't believe they could be held inside a rental co-
1: corporation based on the, um, the, the requirements that, that need to be um, uh, met there. Then, how much? When do you decide that you need to talk to the accountant, or are you talking to the accountant right from day one? Because I agree that we can get kind of comfortable enough to have a conversation. But there's a lot of practice notes with rental properties that I find only the practitioners know. Even if I know what the Income Tax Act says, I don't know the the finer points of just even things like how to properly deal with depreciation or capital cost expenditures. Right? Yeah. So
0: I, um, uh, especially with people with these—I uh, uh, don't know if I want to call them complex cases—but but different than your average case, uh, I will set the expectation right away that you we might need more. Uh, we might might need parts of your financial team in on this uh, for the exact reasons that you um, you mentioned. So. Um, and I always offer to people that I will have a conversation with your accountant. So for example, in this case, I was having a conversation with their accountant, not on the rental properties, but in terms of how they're taking money out of the corporation. And it's not from an area of judgment. It's from an area of, of curiosity. The accountant may have a plan that I'm not aware of. And uh, so I want to be informed on that. So on the, on the rental side... Um, I I did have the opportunity to talk to the accountant and we, we chatted a little bit about the, the rental properties. Of course, again, you you make some assumptions. The client was uh, uh, the rental properties are pretty much um, on neutral net um, uh, net neutral. So, which I see a lot, I think it's, it's adding about $2,000 a a year to their, their taxable income. Um, So there's those assumptions that you, you uh, kind of make um, and, Given that they're far enough off, like on one hand, you, you you hate to to make too many assumptions and say, well, we'll deal with that when you're 60. On the other hand, a million things are going to change between now and the next 20 years. Um, so you have to try to ride that line between, if I believe you have to try to ride that line between, I tell my clients, you're never going to get a surprise bill from me. So if you want more accuracy and complexity on this, we're, we're going to have to do uh, some more work and maybe even bring in more people to the team. Uh, but after talking with your accountant and you and having a pretty good overview of what's going on, here's how comfortable I am with with going ahead with with the assumptions that we've made and the assumptions that you've had. Uh, are you okay with that? Um, mm. You're kind of giving them the the option of uh, uh, I will spend more money to hopefully be um, to dig more in detail on this versus uh let's start here one of the analogies I, I make is sometimes when you tell me i need to go to vancouver's i tell you get in your car drive west and we'll have a conversation along the way you know we get started and that's that's the part of uh, i think uh carl richards talks about getting in the flight from new york going to san francisco and you're pointed in a certain direction but that's not the direction you maintain for that entire
1: flight uh so it's, it's a bit of back and forth there i'm always good for a car carl richards reference um. <laughs> What about uh, commercial general liability insurance in that case, or um, homeowners insurance? Do you get into conversations about the liability side of those uh, rental properties? Not the
0: specifics. Uh, that's not an area of my specialty. Uh, but uh, I, again, I will I will point out: Hey, these are some things you're going to need to know about. You will need to reach out um, to to an, uh, an expert or specialist in that area. Uh, and and I. I I I'm very quick to say what my specialities are or not um because sometimes there can be a, a perception that a financial planner knows anything and everything about uh, uh finances and obviously that's that's rare to the case if not
1: ever yeah I wouldn't expect you to be giving detailed information about the. I guess I was thinking just in terms of centers of influence right do you have C- absolutely so yes I um uh,
0: I'll ask them if they have somebody that they're working with, and and if I have somebody in my network, I will. If I don't, I'll reach out to my network to find somebody in their network. I always try to help. So an answer to that question in general is I always ha- try to help people make that connection if they need a if they need a connection.
1: Yeah, perfect. Any other specialists you would have them connect with, or those centers of influence you'd have them connect with on the side of owning rental properties?
0: Um, a tax specialist, if their accountant isn't um, specialized in that area, for the reasons that uh, that you mentioned, uh, again, a uh, or also a, a legal uh, law um, uh, uh, a specialist on on that side, for again the same kind of reason. So, I try to I try to educate people that you know, unfortunately, this you know this this is a baseball team, this is a football team. Like we're not we're not winning this game with one person here, and and the more you add to your World, the more possibility that we need to bring in another uh, specialist, or you don't, and you take on that risk that you're not informed in that area, um, and and let the client kind of decide on
1: on taking on the risk of not having a specialist work in that area. Yeah, that makes sense. I think the rental property thing is such a complicated area, and I think a lot of people figure, oh, I go buy a rental property, it's an investment, I don't have to worry about it too much, but it really is like a small business you're running. Mm-hmm. Another yeah. business, and, and in this case, I'll
0: add that the um, uh, an uncle or an aunt, or maybe it was both the uncle and aunt. Anyways, uh, uh, they were they got them started in this, and they've been doing rental property and So there is some uh, familiar uh, uh, knowledge and education there. Assuming that that um, uh, person in their life knows what they're doing as, as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, but if they've made a go at it, presumably there's at least some. Useful knowledge there. They, they've been doing it for, for a number of years. So, yeah. At the very least, they'll have the upsides and downsides of things like choosing tenants, right? That's. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so going on to this, the, the final scenario you had mentioned, this uh, sequence of withdrawals question, mm-hmm. sort of where do I take money out? Um, is this just a matter of running a whole bunch of different models or how do you think about this problem?
0: Sure. And the one thing I, I haven't gone into uh, yet, and I know there's some discussion about Monte Carlo analysis and, and the pros and cons and things like that, but that's certainly something I want to add to my practice or at least add to the practice the ability of running large number of scenarios or larger number of scenarios um, with, with the knowledge of, of what they um, educate um, a financial planner and other people on and what they don't educate people on because, as again, discussions that you and I are aware of, inside the, um, uh, the association um, uh, this is not a, uh, a, a a staples easy button that, that you hit and there, there it all is. So uh, it is um, looking at their their tax situation in terms of their 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 um, tax rate uh, marginal tax band. and then we have a conversation with them in terms of uh, now and again it's, it's all about educating and knowing what the, 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 the risks are potential. One potential risk is tax rates go down. And you took money out at a tax rate, the same tax rate that you're in, not a higher tax rate. And then tax rates go down in a couple of years, and you could have gotten that money for, for at a lower tax rate. So obviously, we have the conversation of we have to make a, a guess whether tax rates are going to go down, stay the same, or increase. And the general guess is they're not going down anytime soon. They may stay the same. They may increase. So within that, um, if they are $5,000 away from the next tax bracket, for example, or $10,000, and let's ignore old age security clawback at this point. So let's just say they're not, you know, coming up against that 75, $80,000 mark, um, that uh, maybe there's an opportunity to start taking money out at the same tax bracket, assuming you are going to be in the same tax bracket for the rest of your life. Um, I have clients that have defined benefit pension plans, a lot of guaranteed income. So it's a pretty good assumption that they're going to be in that tax bracket, assuming tax brackets don't change. So again, a lot of education on um, this is not a guarantee that this is the only way to get tax uh, money out at the lowest tax bracket possible, but based on the information we have. So it might be a slow drip of money. Some clients absolutely don't like the idea of paying more tax in any one year than they're used to, even though mathematically you can show them that there's a possibility they'll pay more tax down the road. Uh, so they'll delay it. Um, and of course the, a lot of media has talked to us about delaying your your registered funds as, as long as possible. So it's um, I, I guess I'm kind of repeating myself here but it's it's a case of educating the client, giving showing them pros and cons, running some scenarios as, as you talked about, and helping them together make the decision of what are you most comfortable with now that I've provided my knowledge and skills and and uh, uh, tools to to inform you on this. I'm not trying to take the responsibility away from the planner, but I am trying to really push on the idea that um, uh, if we go back to the CFP, it's based on client's goals. Our biases don't enter into the conversation. You know, we're helping them make uh, decisions. If that makes sense.
1: And what about uh, the rabbit holes here? Like, do you do the um, you know, the deliberate over contribution in the last possible year of the RSP, so you can get the room back. Do You ever go down that kind of path or, you know, taking like bringing up to the next tax bracket on December 31st and moving into TFSA? Do you do those kinds of things?
0: Sure. So the last part first, if I do tax, uh, um, tax planning withdrawals, what I, I, I call them, uh, I tend to leave those towards the end of the year Uh, you never know, like maybe they go out and get a a part-time consulting job. Uh, Some clients, they're not. Some clients, they might. You just have more information at that point. Um, uh, Just to sidebar a little bit, and of course, a part of this conversation is if we're withdrawing money and not doing in-kind transfers, and of course, if we're taking from taxable accounts, there's withholding tax. Now we're talking about um, potential uh, uh, waterfall or or cash wedge strategy because we know we're moving money around um, once a year to to handle that. So there's a separate conversation along those lines of, of, yeah, we're not selling your uh, Facebook. uh, I was never stock licensed, but we're not selling your Facebook uh, stock uh, to just do some tax planning here. Um, So it's usually towards the end of the year because then a lot of the information is known at that point. Uh, I guess COVID kind of helped us inform that decision because if the government makes a, a change uh, like they did uh, last year and, and change the withdrawal rates. Uh, you couldn't um, retroactively go back in earlier in the year and do anything about that. Uh, so that's where that comes in. In terms of the rabbit holes, um, I guess the answer to that is the typical, it depends. You get a pretty good feel after you've done it for well to realize, hmm, maybe this client is, there's a, there's a case here for going down a few rabbit holes and looking at that you know last contribution and, and things like that. Whereas for other clients, you realize that that's probably not a scenario that needs to be run um, because you, you know that it's, it's just not going to be, um, uh, it's not going to make or break or be overly uh, beneficial. So there, there is a little bit of a gut choice on
1: some of those things, I think. And I don't want to badmouth those things. They're super efficient. And if you can yes. get a client to respond to them, they, they do make sense. They put more money in your pocket.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes a client comes to us and say, we have this, we heard about the strategy. Uh, you saw an FPAC, um, I had a question about the, um, um, Smith, rem- the Smith maneuver, right? You know, a client came to me, I was aware of it. Um, anyway, so the cl- clients are very well informed. This is the internet age. Um, uh, so they come asking that question sometimes. So then maybe you end up going down uh, the rabbit holes, to use your words. Uh, but, you know, to say, You've asked me a question, Mr. and Mrs. Client. I'm going to go and answer it and show you why it may or may not be a good idea.
1: And in fact, that leads to my next question about this client, number three, because you had specifically mentioned at the beginning of the conversation that they came to you with some ideas already. Do you have a sense of where they got that stuff? Is it stuff they got from uh, reading Jonathan Chevro or Rob Carrick or uh, stuff from podcasts or... Do you have a sense of of where what their source of education was sure so so, uh, so some usually people specifically tell where they
0: they hear it about or i will ask about it, but these people in particular, and I'm finding this is about i don't know call it fifty percent of the cases give or take, maybe
1: you
0: know forty or something like that where it's just experience of other family members that this family member has their old age security clawed back. That family member passed away and there was a large tax bill at, uh, at, at death and things like that. Um, so it's really, and that was the case with these, these people is that they, um, they said, here's, uh, here's what I know. And I know it from um, experience vicariously through people I know. And, and uh, I, they, I actually think they said, and we don't want to go through that. And so I had to kind of educate them that well you might have to but that doesn't mean tax planning can't be done to decide whether or not we can uh, avoid it. The government's going to get some of your money. It's always going to happen. It just depends on whether they got more of your money than legally they really needed to.
1: So in uh, in all three cases, I'm curious given the fact that you're not investment licensed and that really you almost have carte blanche here. What do you do as far as asset allocation? Is there a a specific conversation about it? Do you kind of leave it to whoever is going to do their asset mix? What can you talk with the clients about here?
0: No, I absolutely do an asset allocation. And um, I don't know how to put this in in a way that I I just, I, I guess having been in the industry, in the business, and seeing all sides of it and hearing about all sides of it, I just make the assumption that that the person that they may be working with may not be as knowledgeable in that area, Um, uh, and and that uh, at least they go in informed so that the investment advisor that they may be working with, if they're not doing it themselves, now they're in the spot of saying, why should the asset allocation be different than the financial planner said? and There could be very good reasons why. They may bring out their own investment questionnaire. So yes, the answer to that question is I go through a conversation about asset allocation. I'll start with the retirement funds because that typically is their longer, longest term money, and I will um, I, I use um, uh, uh, the MFDA sample investor questionnaire, um, especially because I heard uh, I thought it was pretty decent. But then again, we're talking about the Financial Planning Association a lot, and and I think there's very good reasons to be keep bringing them up. I was able to go on the form. And throw it out there and say, what are people using? What's good? What's what's not so good? And that one and um, and a tool out there, which I, finteric, I think the name was
1: uh, Finometrica. Yes, thank you,
0: Finometric. Yeah. Um, so it was good to have that validation from yourself, from an experience that you had down in the states that said, hey, this questionnaire is actually pretty darn good compared to the industry. So I will have um, the asset allocation conversation and with with timeline uh, put in there, and I'll talk about. Risk tolerance and risk capacity, and and all the four or five areas that that uh, uh, talk that that um, inform that uh, investor questionnaire. So again, worst case scenario, they go in and they're talking to somebody who maybe isn't as educated as they they should be. An investor advisor that isn't as educated as they should be, which is unfortunately the case. Um, that they can at least walk out of that meeting going, "Ha, huh, I." I didn't get as much out of that as maybe I didn't like. Maybe we should just put the brakes on here and, and, uh, and, and, and have some more conversations, uh, if that answers that question.
1: Have you had clients who have gone away with your set of investment recommendations, sat with that investment advisor, and maybe not been satisfied and come back to you? Not yet, but uh, I
0: don't think we've touched on this. I've, I've been uh, f- uh, fee only or advice only for six-ish months. Uh, September first of twenty twenty is, is when things started. Uh, so um, there's been some opportunities for for um, our sorry six months. Did I say six months, three months. Holy mackerel! Um, it feels longer given our current situation. Um, so. I haven't had a lot of opportunity for clients to go away and come back, um, uh, with that. Um, but I, 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 I tend to reach back to clients and say, so how are things going? Um, and that will probably be one of the questions I asked just based on that is, is, um, uh, how did, how did that go and, and, and see what that lined up. And I, I'll be careful to say, sort of take a, a few more minutes, but I'll be careful to say, uh, I'm trying not to enter my ego into it to say that that my answer is the best answer, and anybody else that says otherwise is is uh, obviously lesser than it's uh, uh, it at least protects them to say, okay, now let's ask the question why they're suggesting growth when the, the investor questionnaire and my discussion, the investor questionnaire isn't all of it. And my discussion said balanced. Um, uh, you know, let's let's talk a little bit about about that. There could be a very re- good reason why it actually ended up being growth, and my and our discussion ended up being balanced.
1: I think you framed it well before. You didn't say the problem was that they disagreed with Brett. You said the problem was, or the, the thing they were looking for was, did they get something out of the discussion with that investment? Did they learn something from that investment advisor? Do they come away more comfortable?
0: It, exactly. If, if a mechanic says, I need a $1,000 brakes on my car, and I go to another mechanic, and they say, I need $500 brakes on my car. Okay, let's just be curious and ask why. The, why is there a five hundred dollar difference here? What, what, what am I missing? So I can make again. I'll, I'll harp on that line. Make an informed decision.
1: Uh, do you use retirement policy statement at all?
0: Anything like that with your clients? No, I. Uh, so I use letter of engagement, of course, um, uh, and but I don't use retirement policy statements um, uh, when I was uh, previously an advisor. I was aware of investment policy statements and I really uh, liked the idea of them. Uh, they were not allowed to be used at the previous place of, uh, of business, which uh, caused some interesting conversations amongst uh, uh, various people. Um, but you know, it is what it is. Like if, if it's not coming from that corporation, then then they're, they're trying to maintain and control their brand. But there's a conversation between maintaining, and controlling your brand and, and protecting the client. Um, but the answer to your question is, is uh, uh, no, I don't. But as with anything else that I come across or being suggested to me, I will go out and research it and understand the pros and cons of using it and, and happy to keep adding more stuff uh, uh, to my practice, uh, especially if it helps uh,
1: the client or me being more effective or efficient or whatever the case may be. Yeah, I'd love to run into somebody who's actually using them. I heard them discussed on, on Michael Kitsis' podcast, and I've seen his uh, post about them, but I don't know if I know anybody who's actually using one. So Now, I think we chatted a lo- little bit about this in the third scenario, but when it comes to decumulation planning, is there anything else you think about here in terms of decumulation? We already talked about long-term care and healthcare risks, and we talked a little bit about tax allocation in there anything else you think about that way
0: um, probably just just off the top list of, of it's always an interesting conversation because a good number of people that a good number of clients that I have that discussion with it's, it's the sometimes the first response is well I don't need that money. Like, I don't need another $5,000 or $5,000 minus uh, withholding taxes. And so sometimes the forest for the trees in terms of planners that that we know what we're doing in, in, or why we're doing that. So you have to kind of have a discussion of, of, no, this is not necessarily, you don't have to go and spend this. This is just trying to be more tax efficient with, um, with your money. Um, Then there's within that is the idea of moving money from uh, potentially taxable accounts, registered accounts. I know TFSA's are registered accounts, but but you know registered minus tax TFSA's. I wish the government would would change that nomenclature. Um, Moving money between those non-registered and and TFSA's, and there's the um, uh, what what we have to be aware of. There is the possibility of, um, and I know what I'm talking about. It just it just lost my my mind there, but the um, if you move money directly from, um, uh, it's the capital loss. Uh, if, if you're moving money into into registered fund, you can help me out here. Uh, what the, the words uh, looking superficial for you. loss rules? Is that what Thank you, know? you. My gosh. Sorry, well, that, um, yes. I, I yeah, that. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'll, I'll have you on speed dial next time. I forget that uh, that term. That. Um, uh, though CRA may not be running around looking for that in in every person, again, part of our job, I believe, is to be informed about that stuff and 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 why put our clients in a problem that that they don't need to be in. So so managing that is 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 uh, is important to be aware of. Um, I I remember a conversation around this with a um, another um, uh, uh, yeah she has her CFP as well, but uh, somebody I highly respect in this in this industry. Um, and I mentioned just moving non-registered money to TFSA for, for tax-efficient purposes, uh, and she said, if, if, if you're doing that, you're one of uh, something like one of 10% of, of, of planners and advisors doing that. And I just almost fell off my chair that I said, well, that's that's one of the easiest things to do if it's available. So it's just unfortunate um, that, that, uh, that, that even those things aren't being considered by by everybody. Uh, so th- it's just those type of ideas that, that there are a lot of things to be aware of. And the more we educate ourselves on those things, so we can, we can be uh, aware of those things, uh, uh,
1: I think is, is key. That's great. Those are three really good scenarios, really diverse, three you know completely different retirement income mm-hmm. scenarios. So I appreciate that. I appreciate the thoughtfulness you put into that. Do you have any last thoughts, Brett?
0: Um. I guess the only thing a bit off topic, but in the topic of the industry, um, I'll just say to people that are, are listening, uh, who are obviously advisors and planners and stuff like that, like one of the keys in this business is constantly educating yourself and 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 keeping up. And I know it can be tough. You know, you're trying to go out there and and, and make your money and and do that kind of stuff, but I really believe, uh, having been in this business almost a decade that the more you do that, like, like this business and and industry is changing so much that that is, is such a key, uh, uh, area. And, and I really implore people, uh, to, to constantly do that. Uh, I'm always afraid that I'm not doing enough. And that's, that's the main thing that keeps me up at night. So if I can make a plug for just, you know, keep educating yourself in this industry, uh, that's what, uh, clients are looking for. They're looking for knowledge and help and guidance, uh, in their financial decisions. Yeah, the more I learn, the more I know how much I don't know, right? It's a massive world. There's, there's, a, there's a great line from, I think the book's called A Million Dollar Consulting by Alan Weiss, I believe the name is. And his line is, did I ever tell you how stupid I was a, a week ago?
1: <laughs> and it, it,
0: it comes to that point of of I've learned enough in a week to know how stupid I was uh, before I learned all this stuff. And I, I constantly remember, uh, remember that line. That's golden, yeah.
1: All right. Well, thanks so much for your uh, generosity with your time and your stories, Brett. That's wonderful. And uh, enjoy the rest of your day. No problem. And thank you for doing these things, Jason. This is fantastic for us in the industry. The number for today's episode is eight. The number for today's episode is eight. Okay, lots there, and I do find it's nice to walk through those three uh, significantly different scenarios. Okay, I wanted to follow up on a few things that uh, Brett had commented on in there, a few things that we touched base on. Uh, first off, he mentioned uh, Monte Carlo, and I'm not sure how many people out there use this. I know if you use uh, Navy Plan as your financial planning software, it's likely that you're at least seeing Monte Carlo projections. Uh, essentially, what a Monte Carlo projection is. It's where we take all the factors that go into, let's say, a straight line retirement income plan, and we figure out where there's uncertainty in those factors. So, if you had a, a very volatile uh, financial uh, set of financial assets, sorry, then that would show up in your Monte Carlo projection. Basically, what would happen here is you do uh, thousands of, and it's not you doing it; the software does it, but thousands of different iterations of your retirement plan with this sort of what if. So if you had a very volatile set of assets, you would have a Monte Carlo set of projections with a wide range of outcomes. There would be sort of the up the middle, everything goes according to plan outcome, and then there will be much better outcomes and much worse outcomes on a sort of broad spectrum. Whereas if you had a safer investment portfolio, then you would have a much narrower band. You would have less volatility, less variation in your outcomes. Now, I find usually uh, those projections are based entirely on the volatility in your portfolio. But if we were really concerned about all the volatility that shows up in retirement planning, we might want to work in some uh, volatility around age or longevity. We might want to work in some Ultimately, around spending, so what happens if you have healthcare expenses earlier? And some Monte Carlo projections do this. I don't want to malign the practice here, but it tends to be that we sort of focus on investment returns. And investment returns are, of course, only one of the factors that's going to determine uh, success or failure of our retirement plan. Uh, something else that we touched briefly on here is the uh, retirement policy statement this of course is sort of an offshoot from the investment policy statement an investment policy statement is a really tried and true practice on the investment side today where you would help a client to understand why they hold an investment uh, what it's doing in their portfolio why they're using rsp tfsa non-reg all that kind of thing and the idea it's really like a don't panic document where when the client says, oh my goodness, why do I have this investment? I've read bad news about uh, the sector that I'm invested in or something like that. Uh, And the client can go to their investment policy statement and sort of read it and say, right, this is what we talked about. This is why we have the portfolio we have. A retirement policy statement would be a very similar document. I like it as a one page document. And you would do things here like describe the sources of income in retirement. And Brett talked in the interview about how we time uh, RIF withdrawals, for example. Obviously, if you need income out of your RIF, you're taking that. But he talked about these uh, surplus or these really tax planning RIF withdrawals and how to time those. That's the kind of thing that you would put onto a retirement policy statement. So the Client isn't sort of forced to remember everything that they talked about with their financial planner sort of four years ago, the last time that they had a, a good look at the financial plan. We would talk about the same types of things the investment policy statement that is, what are the investments you hold and why do you hold them? We might talk about decisions around Canada pension plan and old age security. So, if you have a client, for example, where you've advised that person again, something Brett talked about quite a bit in the interview. You've advised that person to delay their Canada Pension Plan as late as possible. And sometimes that temptation is going to show up to apply for Canada Pension Plan earlier than that. Remind the client, no, look, if you wait to take your Canada Pension Plan and draw down these other assets, here's how it's going to end up financially better off for you. So just reinforcing those uh, good decisions. We might talk about spending so there might be some discussion here about how the client is spending. Uh, I'll borrow from Michael Kitsis here. Michael Kitsis uh, has said that the biggest thing that a retiree can do to reduce the risk of running out of money in retirement is to have spending that is actually at a lower pace than inflation. It's a, a control the controllables item. And so we might remind our clients that when they're spending in retirement we want to sort of match that up to inflation you don't want to have your spending outpacing the, the growth on your investments here and not that you're going to have investments just growing at in inflation but you probably don't have enough money invested that you can afford to just make a return based on inflation so something to think about anyways is some sort of retirement policy statement for your clients who are at or nearing retirement To obtain your CE credits for listening to this episode, you'll need the color and number in order to get through the quiz. And also you'll have to pay attention to the interview. There are five questions in there and you'll want to do well on all five. Pass grade is 60%. So the place to go to do that is bccquiz.online. That's BCC is in Business Career College. So pop over to bccquiz.online. There's a short five-question quiz there. You should be able to do it on your mobile phone once you are parked. Then you can subscribe right then. It's pretty easy to do. We're always looking for more subscribers. I think this is a super efficient way to get your CE credits. And it's pretty common for me when I tell people about the podcast for CE credits, they say that's a great idea, but I'd still like to get those numbers up. So please pop over to bccquiz.online. 15 bucks a month will get you all the CE credits you need, including your professional responsibility credits. And we're doing two episodes a month now or one episode every two weeks. So please pop on over to bccquiz.online and subscribe. Okay, I'd ask you to join us again in two weeks. We're, gonna, we're going to have Jeremiah on the call. Uh, Jeremiah is a life insurance agent based here in Edmonton. Um, he's actually sold me a life insurance policy in the past. And Jeremiah really is going to talk about some of the ins and outs of the life insurance business as it exists today. Uh, I really enjoyed this discussion, and it's uh, quite a bit different actually. So, Brett and I got into these three retirement planning scenarios, and uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah and I did quite a bit of discussion about some life insurance scenarios. So, uh, back to our roots talking with financial advisors in both of these episodes. Thanks very much, and enjoy your continued studies. There are quite a few people who help out with getting these episodes to air. Joseph Tong takes care of our editing. Maria Nguyen takes care of all of our continuing education approvals. And Sushami pomerleau uh, Ji Jilu, Lisa Hoffert, and Penny Watt, my mother, make sure that we have people listening to the podcast through their marketing and sales efforts. Thank you so much.